cold turkey. The NRC promised Elliot that they would restore his brain's neurotransmitters to their condition prior to drug addiction. During his time as an amino acid therapy patient, he had an interesting roommate, Rick James, of Super Freak fame. Each hooked up to an IV drip in a hospital bed. The two talked about addiction, music, and life. I learned this while making special deliveries to Elliot at his cottage. Turkey sandwiches and shortbread cookies. That was his order when I would call from the studio landline each night after he had been released from treatment. At this point, Sarah had lent me her Toyota Camry. Mobile for the first time in LA, I would drive down to Ralph's, pick up some Lorna Dunes or Walkers, along with sandwiches from the deli and a six pack of bottled water, then make the half hour trek down to Los Feliz. Tryptophan. That was why Elliot said he wanted the sandwiches. He thought its presence in the turkey would help him sleep. You know, like after Thanksgiving dinner, he said. Also, tryptophan is an amino acid, an organic compound that Elliot was counting on to get healthy. And the shortbread cookies? No scientific rationale there. He just liked them. As for the cold turkey, kicking drugs joke Elliot must have also intended and delighted in his sense of humor to a T. It took me 15 years to get it. Uh, do you need something? When I arrived at Elliot's after dark the first time, the door was slightly ajar and the cottage, even eerier up close than from across Griffith Park Boulevard, was virtually pitch black inside. Hello? I said unable to see and feeling a bit spooked as I opened the door. Oh, hey, come on in. Thanks for coming, Elliot answered, turning on a small lamp in the living room where he was resting on the couch. He still had adhesive bandages on one hand and arm from the IV, but had changed out of the tracksuit. He seemed pretty spent, but not necessarily in a bad way. More like when you're just too tired to think or do anything the evening after a long stretch of exams in school. So we just talked for a little while, him asking how things were going at the studio, and me asking if he needed anything else, or might like me to bring my 12-string over for him to play while he was recovering. No, I'm good, but thanks, he said. I'm just gonna rest. Sounds like a good plan. I said. I'll give you a ring tomorrow and see if you're in need of any more tryptophan. He smiled. Rick James must be 50 years old, I thought. He was 52 at the time. And worried for Elliot. Unable to fathom the never-ending challenge ahead as I drove back to Van Nuys. Is no one taking care of him? I asked out loud in the car. That can't be. Ashley, Elliot's sister, 
works at Amoeba down in Hollywood, and he's got to have a lot of friends, right? Maybe he just wants to be alone, I thought, going back and forth with myself. Well, I'll just keep checking in every day and see if he needs anything. Valerie was gone, driven to LAX for a flight back to Scotland, her home country, by Elliot a few days before he went to the NRC. Up until that point, she had called the studio landline numerous times asking about him. The sense of worry in her voice readily apparent. Elliot had told me that he didn't want to speak to her, but he didn't tell me to tell her that. I certainly didn't have the heart to do it. So I just apologize and say I didn't know what was going on. Matt had said she seemed really nice, but Elliot had said she'd rather I be at home smoking crack where she can keep an eye on me than out of her sight. That sounded insane, but scared the hell out of me nonetheless. Ashley was very much in the picture, thankfully, by Elliot's side, taking care of him. I met her at Amoeba and she radiated kindness. Knowing that she was a reliable person and there for Elliot, that he could count on more than tryptophan deliveries from me, was a huge relief. And soon enough, Elliot was broadcasting signals that he was on the mend as I discovered when one check-in call went to the answering machine and a newly recorded message featured a certain famously breathy singer bellowing out a familiar lyric sheet. Hey Now by Oasis. I think until that moment, I was unsure if Elliot would remember any of our time together on his bridge from bottoming out to rehab. He remembers, I whispered, a smile swelling as I listened. Being able to drive again was nothing short of a godsend. The recording sessions, originally imagined to span only a few weeks of time, would end up dragging on for another 11 months after I left LA and repeatedly ran out of money. And during that time, cars came to represent increasingly needed opportunities for privacy. Living out of a backpack from city to city for months on end and not having a door to close and shut out the world now and then takes a toll over time. Sometimes I would get into the Camry or a friend's old Cadillac Sedan DeVille and just burst into tears. Not from sadness, but just the stress of being a 24-year-old, a kid still, really, trying to figure out how to finance and produce an increasingly expensive orchestral pop album on the fly. Other times, 
I would hang my head on the steering wheel and then erupt into a scream. A car was the only place where I could do either of those things. The only place private enough to acknowledge feeling overwhelmed while suspended mid-leap in an act of faith in self. The will, merely human, strictly physical, vulnerable, an automobile at once its protection and extension. To Tucumcari, New Mexico, 600 miles off the grid, with $20 motels and pink-blue light behind red clay and desert mounds. To the Altamont Pass wind farm east of San Francisco, where mammoth white pinwheels turn in time with a long-lost friend's favorite song. To Eminence, Missouri, through ever-steepening Ozark roads in search of mythic wild horses. To nowhere in particular in Kansas City to park in peace and listen to the Sunday night doo-wop show on 94.9 FM. On winding nightly drives in LA, the omnipresence of Coldplay's spellbound clocks helped me to come to see the city's vast and strange terrain as otherworldly, where I had once found it assaulting. The adjustment reminded me both of reading Vinland by Thomas Pynchon and walking the fifth floor of the music school for the first time, while all manner of musicians practiced all manner of material. An initially disorienting cacophony of ideas and expressions, but after a while somehow wonderfully weird. With Matt in Santa Monica, Elliot in Los Feliz, the studio in Van Nuys, and my sister in Azusa, the area I covered, 40 miles east to west and 20 miles north to south, was as diverse as it was immense. Not that I had any idea where I was at any given time, really. Only ever on the road at night, it was too dark out and traffic too hurried to even glance at the road atlas. I just memorized the numbers. 101 to 134 to 210, 101 to 134 to 5, 2 to 405 to 10. Like opening a locker at school and looked out for sights that became familiar over time. A lush curve with patches of fog signaled Pasadena, a barren industrial expanse, practically Martian in its appearance meant Azusa was near, and the Capitol Records building, where record label spies were evidently eavesdropping on my harmonium covers of Smith's songs on Vine Street in Hollywood, cued Franklin Ave, the way to Los Feliz and Elliot's grim brother's cottage.